welcome to Faith Facts with Father Howard. I'm Lindsay here with Father Howard, and on today's episode, we will be discussing reconciliation. So let's get started. Hey, Lindsay. Uh, it, this is a topic that, that is particularly uh, important to me. Uh, one, because I celebrate it with people, and two, at times, I, I see it as one of the most misunderstood and one of the most underappreciated sacraments that we have. And it is it is so often looked upon through a negative lens that um, that that uh, people do not promote it with their children. People do not celebrate it in their own lives. And yet they they know that there is a need for it. They know that there's a need for it. In fact, at one point I, I spoke to a group of parents. I said, can you name something that you don't believe in, you think is of no value whatsoever, and, and yet, uh, you know, you will not practice in your own lives, and yet you somehow want it to, to you want it to be practiced by your children. And, and they couldn't think of anything. And I said, reconciliation. <laughs> reconciliation. I said, oftentimes, I said, if, if this crowd is kind of generally the crowd that, that most are, is that uh, most of you have probably not practiced it for quite some time. I would suspect you may not even believe the necessity of it. And yet somehow you want your children you know, to go through this ritual, and and I'm not so sure you, you recognize the need why, and yet there is a, a tremendous need why, and yet uh, because we misunderstand it, um, we it's, it's not really sometimes on our radar screen until it's the sacrament that somebody has to go through and, and before you get to First Communion, or it's a sacrament you have to go through because you want to go and receive confirmation or get married or, and, and on and on the list goes, but it becomes in many ways this requirement before you can get to something else. And, and, and I think that that's a, a terrible understanding of what the sacrament is. I would compare it to, can you imagine saying to a couple, you fell in love, now we're going to punish you by getting married. We would never say that. No. <laughs> and yet, what we say oftentimes, or what we at least infer, is that you have sinned, okay, we get that, and now we're going to punish you with the sacrament of reconciliation in order for you to take care of that, rather than seeing it as a way to celebrate a mending of, what, of what's been broken. And when you think about it, I look at it as a relationship of, of with self, others, and God. That somehow something needs to be mended. And the thing is, is we know what needs to be mended be, mm-hmm. because we, we know. We just know. And, and yet, at times, it's difficult to take the steps. We know when we need to say, I'm sorry to somebody. We know when we need to ask for forgiveness. We know usually when we have hurt someone. We know these things. And yet how difficult it is for us to take the steps that can somehow right the wrong, that can heal what was broken. And when I think of reconciliation, it's not a punishment for having gotten caught, (laughs) (laughs) you know. And so now you got to pay the fine. 
as much as it's a celebr it's a celebrating of, of of healing what's been broken the relationship that's been that's been harmed uh, with self God or others hmm. and and I believe that if more folks really approached it you know from a positive point of view they would they would um, celebrate the sacrament regularly in their lives uh, or when they really have a sense that they need to I've never been one that's that has bought into the mentality that says you really should go every week or every two weeks because you need to people know when they need to heal people know when they need to take steps it's the steps that sometimes are either ignored or or people don't take because they don't want to have to go through this ordeal called penance, uh, confession, rather than celebrating reconciliation. Sure. It's intriguing that you talk about how we're, we don't like going up to a, a family member and apologizing or do it. I mean, and then putting it into the context of it's kind of the same thing. Never thought about that before. It really is. When you look at a little bit of the history of, of reconciliation, I mean, reconciliation and the need to reconcile, the need for healing, whether in family or community, is all over the place in the New Testament, just all over the place. Um, the sacrament that we sell, we, what we know to be the sacrament today, uh, it was not initially a sacrament. That That is a church development over the years. But it has been based on, on a, a couple of, of scripture passages. Uh, two that are, are really kind of key um, would be Matthew chapter 18, verse 18, where it talks about, you know, what you will bind on earth, you will bind in heaven and loose on earth, loose in heaven. And then John uh, chapter 20, verse 23, uh, who sins you forgive, they are forgiven, who sins. And so those are, are two of the key, key verses where they root the sacrament in. But the idea being is that there needed to be a way, the early Christian community recognized the need, there needed to be a way to somehow mend what was broken, the relationships. Um, the whole sense of, of, the, of the early church really doesn't mention you know, reconciliation per se until almost 150 years later uh, after the resurrection experience. Um, in, in a way, it was, it was public, and it was only done once. If you were caught sinning twice, you were toast. I mean, you know, you could not be anointed. Uh, you'd be prayed over if, when gosh. you were dying, but it was celebrated once, and it was, um, it was public. You had to stand before the community and list your sins. Now, Would you do it right before you died and then just be like, oh, I'm good, thanks? Well, and that's part of the reason why we have the sacrament of anointing called extreme unction it was the final anointing because any number of the penances could last from 3 to 15 to 20 30 years for confessing publicly what you did is that they weren't necessarily afraid of dying they were afraid of living because if they lived then they had to go through the penance because <laughs> the anointing had with it the forgiveness of sins so um, you know, when they say last anointing, they meant you had better do it right before you breathed your last oh because the penances were so arduous. <laughs> but the, the, the key part of that was is that it was also it was public. Is that, you know, when you think about a small town like 
West Bend is a small city. I think of some of the small cities, you know, that, that I have served in. Everybody knows what you're doing anyway. I mean, you know, this idea that I have sinned. People know. it. The word gets around. It's called gossip. It's called, you know, the word gets around yes, yes. of what you do. And so it's not like people don't know. Well, they were just, I would say, more honest years ago. You had to say it out loud. You had to say it publicly and saying, I'm sorry for what I did because I recognize that I hurt people, that I that what I was did was wrong. It could have been apostasy, denying the faith. It could have been, you know, adultery. It could have been murder. It could have been uh, generally any number of things. People already knew. <laughs> You know, it was it was on the gossip lines probably for for weeks, uh, and and finally though for there to be healing, it recognized something is broke here, the relationships are broke, the community is broken, and for you to come back to that, is it's important that you admit what you've done, you ask for forgiveness, that that you hear people say I forgive you. And then somehow there needed to be some sort of work done in, in order to show that you were serious. It wasn't about, I paid the ticket, now I can go speed again. You know, <laughs> you know it's like, you know, heck with all of that. You know, I'm just going to go back doing. The idea was, is that this was an opportunity for you to change your behavior, to, to literally to experience conversion, to experience wholeness again, whether in the family or whether in the family of the community, I believe in many ways we have lost that, that it has become so privatized. And what's interesting is the Second Council um, really spoke about the public nature when they redid the, the ritual for the Sacrament of Reconciliation, even how we talk about it. I always refer to it as the Sacrament of Reconciliation, not confession, that's a piece of the whole sacrament. Mm -hmm. Not penance, that's a piece of the whole sacrament. Um, you know, can you imagine if, if a surgeon, all they talked about was cutting into your body and ripping those, the bad piece out? I mean, th they talk about this is going to help heal you, this is going to help make you whole. Reconcile you with God. Exactly. What was broken needs to be made whole. Mm -hmm. and, and the second council really emphasize that over the last decades though we have begun to move away from that public piece and I, I think that's a mistake that's my personal opinion I think that's a mistake because it loses that public piece that there is no such thing as a private sin all sin has public ramifications all sin somehow makes a difference not only to the individual but how that individual sees the world, sees family, sees the community, it all makes a difference. So when we sin, there is that public nature to it. Now, granted, we can't necessarily stand out there and just yell whatever we want. Probably wouldn't be wise to do so. But even in the sacrament, part of what my role is, is to represent the community. And for, that, for a person to hear another human being say, you're forgiven. Yes, what you did was serious, but you are forgiven. Believe in that forgiveness. Um, and, and to be able to, to say that with, 
with confidence and and you know with with a strength of of, of helping a person come to recognize the need for healing in their life. So when you're talking about the Second Vatican Council changing the public thing, like before that, I, I guess I'm not understanding what you mean. Like they changed before that. Yeah. Let, let's say it, this go and this goes back uh, quite a ways. Um, in the late sixth century, um, oh, there was yeah, yes. the, yeah, there was a practice <laughs> among the Celtic monks. Uh, before they came into the main Europe, European scene, there was a practice where they talked about in spiritual direction uh, very uh, regularly and often to their spiritual director, not only about the good that was happening, but also the sin in their lives and celebrated a sense of forgiveness. That became a common practice. Um, when the monks came across into Europe, um, the, the Celtic monks came into Europe, they brought that practice with them, and they started to, uh, because before that, in the Roman church, you might say, it was, you got one shot at this, mm -hmm. and it was public. The Celtic monks brought the practice where it was private and on a regular basis. You know, it was more than one time. So that became very popular and very much embraced and was resisted, in fact, by the Roman Church for a long time. Um, and, and except in the Eastern Churches. The Eastern Churches um, said you could confess or celebrate reconciling, you know, on a, on a more than once. The Roman Church said, no, we don't. Only once. One and done. And so, by, but by 1215, um, the practice of private confession, as we had come to know it, in a confessional or face-to-face, -face, privately, it became the standard practice. In fact, it became so popular, basically, the Roman leadership had to embrace it. They, <laughs> they just had to because it was so popular. And so it became uh, more and more the standard practice, but it was, you know, private confessionals. Uh, they also brought some of the standard penances. Otherwise, there was no standard as far as, you know, this person confessed stealing a loaf of bread and, and you said uh, our father in a Hail Mary, let's say. Uh, this other person who stole the loaf of bread went before a priest and they spent two years fasting. The the there was no standard. Okay. What the, the, the Celtic monks and said they helped to bring a standard so that if you did this, this was the penance. You did this, this was the penance. It brought a standard. In fact, those manuals that they used to bring the standardization lasted for a very long time. It was the Second Vatican Council in the 60s that looked took another look, you might say, at, at what had become the sacrament and said what are we doing? Why are we doing it? Where is it rooted? What, what's the intent? And they, they began to recognize more the public aspect of it and, in fact, put together um, uh, three different rituals that, that became kind of standard. One was uh, the private, as we had known it. The second was a reconciliation service with private confession. And then the third was uh, public services, uh, communal services with public or communal absolution. Um, that that you know after the 60s, after the Second Council, that really became 
a, a standard. And there were a lot of what they called, you know, communal reconciliation services where there was general absolution. And then if a person wanted to, to go more, then they did. Leadership moved away from that. And for lots of different reasons, I struggle with those reasons because I think that they, you know, I, I think they misread what people were using the sacrament for. Is that, you know, there were the things out there such as, well, you just don't want to have to confess your sins. I suppose there was some of that. My experience was is that if you were able to provide people with a good communal service, and there was absolution, is that if you provided them a good opportunity, they eventually made it to a private because they needed mm -hmm. to go deeper. My experience was is that what people saw, oftentimes saw as an aberration, you're just wanting to get away with whatever. I, my experience really was it, it was opening the door to people and welcoming them in and saying, you know, we need to go a little bit further now. And that was my experience to it. So leadership tended to move away from that public aspect of it. And now we're in a time when it's more private. Mm -hmm. Okay, you know, wouldn't be my first option. <laughs> However, I still believe that if folks understood the sacrament in a positive view, really what it's supposed to be is that they would come more regularly, not because they have to, but because it is a genuine experience of healing, of freedom, of hope, of being given a second chance. And, and that's why I just believe that, you know, we need to emphasize reconciliation, not penance, <laughs> confession, pieces of what it means to be reconciled. When you think about the, the, there were, oh gosh, this goes back again to the 1100s. <laughs> you know, I think about some of that is that the, the, the steps or the ritual that we use today literally goes back to the 1100s. The sense was there needed to be a sense of contrition that you really know there's something wrong here. I, I, need, I need healing. I need to make something whole. Secondly, is that we had to be able to say that out loud. Um, you know, to be able to say to another human being, you know, I did this, and to admit to that. Oftentimes people say, well, you know, why can't I just say to God, you know, well, God, I did this terrible thing. Because we don't hurt God. We can't hurt God. We hurt human beings. We hurt others. We hurt ourselves. Is that if we could hurt God, yes, that would make sense. But we don't hurt God. It's not possible for us to do that. We hurt other human beings. Whether we do something in private or public, if it is genuinely sinful, it harms human beings. We throw away food. Now, nobody necessarily needs to know that I threw away a loaf of bread. But a mentality can hurt a world where there are millions of people going hungry. And so that, let's say, mentality of food is easily tossed out can carry over into a world not caring about people who are hungry and starving to death. We don't hurt God. We hurt each other. So we need to say that out loud. Then there was the absolution. A person needs to hear from another human being. You are absolved. God does forgive. You know, I've got a second chance here. Use it well. And then satisfaction. 
satisfaction, uh, you know, the idea of a penance. Uh, I know that, that at times, you know, for certain things, somebody will say, well, I want you to say two Our Fathers and three Hail Marys. I have nothing against prayer. My question is, is how does that satisfy what was broken? You know, if I harmed my brother or sister, if I was a, a, a thief, if I use vulgar language, saying necessarily one Our Father or two Hail Marys is not going to satisfy that as opposed to saying, I need to really look at my language. I need to speak with peaceful language and not with vulgar or violent language. I need to change an attitude that says those people are not worthy of anything. And I need to grow in my ability to, to be respectful. As great as prayers are, and I believe in prayer, is that to satisfy that to me means you need to take an action so that you begin to change the behavior. Conversion is what we're looking for, not simply being able to recite a prayer. Mm -hmm. We're looking for conversion. And it doesn't mean you're not going to necessarily engage in this sin again, but hopefully you're at another place with it better than you were before. Sure. If you're at a place where you're going to you know, confess it, you're at least thinking about it and exactly. trying to... Exactly. You recognize it, yeah. and you recognize something that was broken needs to be healed. Healed. That's my approach. You know, when when somebody celebrates the sacrament with me, it's, it's oh my gosh, I can't remember the formula. That's okay. This is not about a formula. That's me. Every time I walk into a confessional, I don't know what to do. And and for me, is I even say, well, I don't re I don't remember the act of contrition. Then say a prayer in your own words. Asking God for forgiveness. Sometimes those are the most beautiful acts of contrition than simply one that has been memorized. When we memorize something, sometimes, not always, but when we memorize it, we can rattle it off without ever thinking about it. And in yep. fact, sometimes, you know, people stop in the middle of it and they can't remember. They have to start over because, <laughs> you know, they can't keep going. The, I, yeah, you know, and so when you look at this, you know, the parts here of contrition, confession, you know, absolution and satisfaction are, are makes all the sense in the world. But it's how you do it. It's not simply a formula. Um, what's the difference between mortal and venial? Is venial sin still a thing? I don't even know. Well, it is, you know, less serious in a sense. Really, it's a degree of, of seriousness. Yeah, it would be, you know, the difference be, in some ways, you know, breaking an arm and cutting it off in a sense. <laughs> you know, mortal sin is perceived as sin, something so serious that breaks the relationship we have with God. Mm -hmm. That, that you know, it, it yeah, I guess that's the best way I can, it breaks the relationship. Venial, we believe, is that which damages the relationship with God. Um, and it would be, uh, you know, like, yeah, it would be really, it's severity, has a lot to do with the severity. You don't hear necessarily those terms used, more serious or less serious sin. Um, but again, any sin, you know, causes damage. Mm -hmm. Any sin causes, you know, harm to relationship. Um mortal by definition of it is is the most severe and 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 the way we look at it now literally 
um, that salvation would not be ours in a sense if we died with mortal sin in our soul. Um, but you'd have to know well, that again, you had a mortal sin on your soul. You have to, you have to know the criteria. Again, yeah. it was serious. You engaged in it. You understood it. You, you, know, you have to meet those criteria. Uh, and even sometimes, you know, the serious, some really serious sins. I'm not so sure people actually understand what theologically as a church we're saying. Um, or I'm not so sure sometimes, as we know today about mental illness, I'm not so sure a lot of times what we perceive as mortal sin, folks really are able to engage in fully, with full consciousness, full, full awareness, that they were able to engage in it. So I think that in time, we'll be re-looking at that over time. I, th- I think that as we understand human beings, as we understand God and we grow in an understanding of God, we used to teach some rather interesting things, you know. If you were not baptized, you couldn't enter the kingdom of God. Well, over the centuries, we've rethought that and we've re-looked at that and saying, well, maybe we, with a different understanding of God and a different understanding of sacrament and all of that, we're able to re-look it, rethink it and, and, and such and saying, eh, well, let's step back a little bit. I think in time we will continue to do that when it comes with sin. Okay. Um, so when I had my first reconciliation, I was in fourth grade, mm-hmm. and now second graders do it. Why did it get changed? Basically, it got changed because of, of the concern that people had of, of children receiving communion without going to confession. Um, I mean, that was that anyway, that, that was the big push that I was aware of. First of all, I'm not so sure it's possible for a second grader to commit mortal sin. You know, that breaks the relationship with God. And so I think there was a it was more of a, uh, a popular outcry about that because of how people had been taught. Oh, my gosh, you have to go to confession before you go to communion, receive communion. There's something to that. Okay. I'm not so sure it was nearly as serious as at times it was made out to be. However, second graders are aware that they sin. It's interesting. They, they know when they do wrong. And it's interesting that when we celebrate, when I celebrate with second graders, uh, sometimes, you know, there's a little lack of understanding. But for many of them, they know. Because I will at times ask them, boy, you know, with, they will tell you certain things. Well, take one thing there that you want to really, really work on. And so they will oftentimes say something like, I really need to be nicer to my brother or sister. I'm not very nice to them. Or I need to be kinder to my mom or my dad. They know. They, they have a basic understanding of what needs to be healed. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know... And, and sometimes, you know, I say, well, I need you to go and say you're sorry to your brother for you know, hurting him. Do I have to? <laughs> well, yeah, you kind of do, because that's how, that's how we know what it means to forgive and to be forgiven. And so you encourage them. And, and inevitably, you know, as much as they'll, they'll come up to you someplace in a store in church, Father Howard, Father Howard, you know, I said I was sorry. I said, Good for you. And then you try to say, we don't want to talk about it, uh, but good, good for you. Good for you. They know. You know, if somebody would ask me, you know, how, how often should I go? I would say, one, I believe it's important that someone would go 
to celebrate the sacrament at least once a year, at least once. Mm-hmm. I think because, you know, there are people that are genuinely good people. They are doing terrible, terrible things. And, and we believe that if something is not very serious and mortal, that, you know, God certainly does forgive. There are opportunities. Is that, but at least once a year that we're able to sit down with someone and saying, you know what, I really looked at my life. I have, like I said before, I've never really bought into this thing that you have to go, you know, mm-hmm. such and such time. Uh, there are people who, who who work with that, and that's fine. I, I just happen to approach it differently. Um, I believe that on an annual basis, it's healthy for someone to really seriously look at their lives and ask, where do I need to grow? Where have I broken relationships with God, self, and others? Um, so, yes, uh, the church requires that if we have serious sin on our soul, is that we are to go at least once a year. That's, that is a church requirement. Um, in order for us to engage in other sacraments such as Eucharist. Um, but it has to be serious, and it has to meet the criteria. You know, I think about some of the horrible, terrible things that, you know, uh, King David did, Solomon did, <laughs> you know, a lot of other people did. Um, and, and there was always, always love by God there, always. Well, maybe it's not so much a, a break as a... You know how parents are, where they're they're not mad, they're just disappointed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe that's God. I'm not. We're not broken. I still love you. I'm just disappointed. And yes, you know, when I think about that, you know, even as much as with with parents, sometimes the things we say and do as children are really hurtful and painful. Mm-hmm. And yet, um, I have I have never I have never heard a parent say to me. I hate my son or daughter because they were what they said was painful. I hate my son or daughter because what they did embarrassed me. I hate my son. I've never heard a parent say that. If parents can love their children, even with some of the crazy, crazy stuff that kids do, and they do some pretty crazy stuff, why do we think God is so black and white with sometimes the way we look at God and sinfulness in our own human lives? I think that God's love is much bigger than we can possibly imagine. It doesn't mean that sin doesn't exist. It does. And and it it, it can be very destructive. I just don't believe that somehow God is automatically going to necessarily send us to hell. Um, That God's love is bigger than than our human weaknesses, as bad as those human weaknesses can be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It can be scary to walk in that door. Absolutely. And and at times, we did not help that, you know, by the way confession confession was handled and, and the emphasis on, on, you know, being a terrible sinner and if not going, going to hell and, and God punishing you. And, and we didn't have, we shot ourselves in the foot with that. <laughs> and then we wondered why we limped. Um, we did not do well in how we taught it. And so, yes. Many adults remember only scary, scary experiences. And sometimes they were very scary experiences. Um, That's why I I try to do whatever I can to help folks to take another look at it and saying it's not supposed to be scary. It's supposed to be about forgiveness. Can it still be a, a little frightening? Well, yeah, it's never easy to admit our sinfulness. I mean, you know, if, if we're really serious about this, we are bearing our soul before someone 
and and they're human being and 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 we are putting it out there for someone to see but i believe if i'm doing my job right if i truly represent christ you know the forgiveness of jesus and if i truly represent the forgiveness of the community my role is not there to sit there and gasp and say how bad you are my role is to say how good god is and, and to speak of forgiveness, of healing, of, of, of compassion, that's what my role is. And, and that's why I, I try to take every opportunity that I can of how I speak about the sacrament and how I celebrate the sacrament. Um, a person comes in and says what they need to say. I'm not there to say, and what else have you done? <laughs> yeah, it's not my business. My business is to tend to what they have brought and, and we let God take care of the rest. And to be as compassionate as I possibly can. That's my role. My, my hope, as folks come to know, that folks come to know the positive side of what the sacrament of reconciliation really can be, rather than simply reflecting on penance and confession, which are simply pieces of a much bigger whole. Yeah. Okay. Well, I guess we challenge you to think about attending confession if it's or sorry reconciliation. Yes, reconciliation. If it's been a while. Um, yeah, you know, and I always invite people to seriously consider it because it really does make a difference. God's mercy is so so huge. Um, it really does make a difference. It's like give it a try. Give it a try. You know, absolutely. You have nothing to lose whatsoever, other than your sins. Hey, it's not too bad. <laughs> I agree. All right. Well, thank you all for listening to this episode. Thank you, Father. And you we bet. will see you next time. Bye.